Hey, and welcome back to the Preacher Chick Reads the Bible because we are reading the Bible together and we are on day 12. That means we are in Genesis 38 through 40 and Psalm 12. Now, before we dive in, I, I want to take a moment because we're kind of taking a hard and fast left turn, so to speak, from the narrative of Joseph's life and what's happening to him. In chapter 20, 38, there's this, um, on the surface, a an abrupt um, seemingly, uh, how does this story fit chapter? Um, it's Judah and Tamar. And um, there are a couple of things to take note of when you're reading this, because it's so important to read scripture in context. It's so important to read scripture um, as not just, oh, this is a book I'm going to sit down and read, but as this is the living word of God and it's meant to direct my life. It's meant to impart something to me. It's meant to lead me and guide me. And so um, I went back to my commentaries in, not my commentaries, commentaries in my Bibles. And the two main Bibles that I use, um, translations, versions, whatever you want to call it, um, I use the Fire Bible, which is NIV, and um, I'm using a CSB, which is a Christian Standard Bible, that it has commentary by Dr. Tony Evans. And um, here's the thing that both of them mention is that this, this seemingly abrupt interruption in Joseph's life story with the story of Judah and Tamar is to reveal to us just how messed up the, um, the, the, the people of Canaan were and, and that there had to be a, um, a shift. There had to be an explanation. We know that God has told his children to not intermarry with the Canaanite people. And so this is like almost an illustration as to why that is. And you also kind of see a foreshadowing of Joseph needed to, <laughs> uh, it sounds so harsh to say it this way, but there had to be a breaking away from Canaan. And so Joseph's being traded into Egypt um, kind of was the beginning of that because we're going to see as as we continue on in scripture, and if you have read Genesis, you should know this. And I feel like I'm talking to people who probably have read the Bible or know the story of Joseph. And so no spoilers here, right? It's scripture. It's been around for thousands of years, but um, we're going to see that God draws Israel. God draws Isaac. God draws them out of Canaan and into Egypt, where in Canaan, they're just a part of the community. But in Egypt, they're actually segregated from the Egyptians. So they have the opportunity and they have the ability. Oh, I feel sneeze. Oh, I'm so sorry. I had a sneeze. <laughs> um, but where they, they're set apart, they're segregated from the Egyptians. So they have the opportunity, the ability to actually be a people set apart. And and so this is where you see that sometimes being a part of God's plan and purposes and, and having his, his plans worked out in your life, they're not always comfortable. It's not always without pain even, 
um, but there's always a purpose to it. And so um, we're going to see that. So we're going to get going here in Genesis chapter 38 and let's go. Judah and Tamar. At that time, Judah left his brothers and settled near a Dulamite named Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua. He took her as a wife and slept with her. She conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife, perform your duty as her brother-in-law, and produce offspring for your brother. Okay, pausing here in, in this for a moment. The ways of things back then are so anti-cultural, anti natural to our way of living today that it's really hard to wrap our head around the concept of all of this. But at that time, the the family line, the generational lines, the the keeping legacies and heritages together was so important to the people. And and that's why we're seeing what we see here. Okay, continuing on in verse nine. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he released his semen on the ground so that he would not produce offspring for his brother. What he did was evil in the Lord's sight. So he put him to death also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he might die too like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the, son, the daughter of Shua died. When Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend Hira, the Adolamite, went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, veiled her face, covered herself, and sat at the entrance of Anaim, which is on the way to Timnah. For she thought, the, for, for she saw that, though Sheila had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. He went over to her and said, come, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me for sleeping with me? He, I will send you a young goat from my flock, he replied. But she said, only if you leave something with me until you send it. What should I give you? He asked. She answered, your signet ring, your cord and the staff in your hand. So she gave them, so he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. She got up and left, then removed her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get the items he had left with the woman, he could not find her. He asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was beside the road at Anaim? There had been no cult prostitute here, they answered. So the Adulamite returned to Judah saying, I couldn't find her. And besides, the men of the place said there had been no prostitute here. Judah replied, let her keep the items for herself. Otherwise, we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her. Uh, <laughs> About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar has been acting like a prostitute. And now she's pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said, and let her be burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. I am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, examine them. Whose signet ring, cord, and staff are these? 
Judah recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her intimately again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread around it, announcing this one came out first, but then he pulled his hand back. Out came his brother and she said, what a breakout you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Then his brother who had the scarlet thread tied to his hand came out and he was named Zira. Okay. This is one of those, like the saying, what a tangled web we weave. Um, It's one of those instances. Judah had made a promise and Judah, Judah was supposed to live the way God was calling his people to live. And he failed to follow through. Tamar, many would look at her and go, what a horrible woman, what happens? But no, she actually was shrewd. She was, um, yes, a little cunning, but all of those things were to bring about what should have happened according to their uh, rituals and their laws and their tradition that Judah failed to follow through on. Um, So she actually was, believe it or not, she was the person of integrity in all of this. It's just mind boggling. Continuing on, we're back to Joseph. Joseph and Potiphar's house. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards brought him from the Ishmaelites who had bought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? How could I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man in to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me. And I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Okay, so some people would look at this moment and be like, what a mess. 
And I can remember telling somebody one day that I really didn't believe that God would lead me somewhere just so I would fail. And the, the response was something about, well, how do you, how do you, how do you say something like that when you look at the life of Joseph? Friends, there's, I don't believe any failure here um, on the surface and from a human perspective. Sure, it very much looks like that. But we're going to continue on and we're going to see where Joseph screwed up when he was um, impetuous and arrogant and sharing his dreams because he didn't understand then. Immature. But he's growing. And the things that are happening to him are not necessarily results of negative choices he's making, but are all a part of positioning him and preparing God's people for what God has for them. So continuing on in verse 21, Joseph in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. You can be where you feel like doesn't make sense, but if it's where God wants you, he is faithful to show you favor, and he is faithful to bring success from the situation, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Oh, friends, this brings so much hope. This brings so much comfort, peace. This brings so much joy to my heart, my soul, and my mind. That is, oh, he is just that good. Okay, (laughs) continuing in Genesis 40, Joseph interprets two prisoners' dreams. After this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them as their personal attendant, and they were in custody for some time. The king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker, who were confined in prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Huh. That subtle, humble confidence that God's got this. Tell me what it is and and we'll figure it out. Mm. Oh, good. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is its interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. When all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head, and the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh. 
but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is its interpretation, Joseph replied. Three baskets are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Oh, man. The world is just that way. Um, but can can we look at this and, and say it was the chief cupbearer who forgot him? Not God. God did not forget Joseph. Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say, through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? Because of the devastation of the needy and the groaning of the poor, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. You, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl around, the wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Man, there's a lot in there, so much that we can unpack. Um, here's what I see in the life of Joseph, and we've got so much more to read, as you know. What we see in Joseph's life, it's God's faithfulness to bring to completion the promise he has spoken. And there is no attempt of the enemy that can demolish the promises of God, that can destroy the purposes and plans God has in place. There may be things that happen to us that feel like a delay in the process or feel like a deterring, uh, a detour to the plan, but God's plan is still there. God's plan is still good and he will bring it back to the way he wants it to be. That's the thing that we see in Joseph's life time and time and time again. I hope you'll come back tomorrow so we can continue in Genesis and continue reading about God's hand on Joseph's life. And until then, have a great day.